Amen. Thank you so much, Abby, for that beautiful song. Pray for uh, Pastor Nathan. Uh, he is actually over at Calvary preaching this morning, and uh, I don't know when he goes on. Uh, I know their service started at 10, I believe, so he's probably preaching now or pretty close. Oh, he's going to be cut off in a minute. Oh, okay, well, yeah, he text, I texted him this morning and just let him know I was praying for him. We'd be praying for him, and, uh, and he said, you know, the difference is going to be I've got to preach with a time limit now because, like, I'm on the radio and I said, yeah, I probably couldn't do that. Um, but no, uh, praise the Lord for that opportunity. I know that uh, uh, he is enjoying preaching the Word of God this morning and so excited for what the Lord has for, for him and for Abby as he opens doors for them. Uh, and I also want to say a huge uh, hello and welcome to Tyler Amador is with us this morning. And uh, I'm not going to make him stand or anything, uh, but he's with us this morning. So praise the Lord for that and uh, looking to be done hopefully in August and start in college, right? In, the, in September, hopefully that's the plan. And so praise the Lord for that and uh, excited for that as well. So this morning what I want to do as we kind of open up a, a different topic this morning, and you can see on the screen there, uh, the title of this morning is just simply Rethinking Evangelism, Rethinking Evangelism. I want to ask a question this morning because uh, for me it's, a, it's an obvious answer, but sometimes I think it's harder for us to really believe it. Uh, how many of you here, you don't got to raise your hand or testify or anything like that, but I just want to hear maybe an amen or, or yet, just a yes or whatever. How many of you here truly believe in miracles? If you believe in miracles, just say amen. Amen. All right. I love when I read about the things that God does in the Word of God and the miracles that He performs because I greatly believe and truly believe that God does still to this day perform miracles. Amen? Now, when I read the, the Gospels and you read the, this, the story of Jesus' earthly ministry unfolding from encounter to encounter and discussion to discussion and as He's traveling from this area to that area and He's, he's meeting new people and He's seeing all these things and He's doing all these things and God is being glorified— I love reading the miracles of Jesus. So I want to ask a quick question. You guys, just, you guys are going to interact with me a little bit this morning. Uh, somebody tell me your favorites, or like if I had to say, what is the one that you think of the most, your favorite or most often thought of miracle that Jesus performed while on earth during his earthly ministry? Somebody tell me real quick. Okay, raising Lazarus from the dead. Amen. What else? Healing the blind man. Absolutely. What else? Feeding the 5,000, okay? I like that one because it involves food. So that's always a good miracle. Jesus is like, here's some food. I'm like, amen, you are the Savior. Um, just give me some more, okay? Some more green bean casserole and some more stuffing and some more... Anybody hungry? Just kidding. Um, what else? What are some other favorite miracles? Those are the most popular ones, right? We talk about those a lot. Walking on water. What's that? The fish? I hear about the fish somewhere, okay? Okay, healing the lepers. Exactly. Yeah. Nobody wanted to touch those guys. And he went over and he actually made a point of touching them first and then healing him. Okay. It's awesome. Okay. A lot of different things that Jesus did while on earth. Okay. I noticed that we're in a Baptist church, so nobody talked about that whole water and the wine thing, but we'll move on. Um, anyway, uh, so just kidding. Uh, when we talk about these miracles, for me, I have to say that, that although obviously a work of God is a work of God. Amen. And we're left in awe no matter what he does. And no matter what the miracle was, we would le be left in awe of his working. Because a miracle is any time that God does something that we cannot explain with our human understanding. Something that he does that when we stand back we go, I can't figure out how he did that. I can't make this work. I can't do this. I needed a miracle. So for me, when I read the Gospels and I look at the, the ministry of Jesus— the thing for me that always has been the most interesting is whenever he raised someone from the dead. I mean, all the miracles are wondrous and they're all miracles, but when he raised someone from the dead, it always demonstrated to me not just that he is God, and amen, he is, was, and oh, forever will be God, but it doesn't just demonstrate that he is God or that he has deity. It also showed me his compassion for those that had died. And it's compassion to say, I love you more than death could conquer you. I love you so much, I'm going to overcome death, and I'm going to raise you from, from dead unto life. And for me, that just demonstrates, if you had to wrap up the ministry of Christ in one work, it's raising the dead to life. Because when you really think about it, that's the evangelism. That's what salvation is. I mean, that's literally what salvation is. It is literally going from dead unto life. 
As we talk about evangelism and as we talk about this idea of, of reaching the lost, which, by the way, you want a solution for what's going on in our world today? You don't like what you're seeing on TV or around you? Or, or I'm, I'm thinking about taking a purge from Facebook, okay? Because it's just, I'm just like, I'm done, okay? <laughs> right? I love what someone did this week. They started posting pictures of snow every day instead of getting into that. I was like, I like that. That's a good idea, okay? Just flip it up, okay? You don't like, listen, you know what the answer is? Jesus. And you're like, no, come on. There's a lot we can be doing. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying we don't voice our concerns in the public square or we don't make our opinions known in the political realms. But what I'm saying is, you really want to see true change? It's Jesus. I mean, the interjection of Jesus literally changes everything. So what is evangelism? What are we called to as followers of Christ? We're called to introduce people to Jesus. I love the disciple Andrew. Quiet guy, soft-spoken, not really in the forefront like his famous brother Peter. He wasn't the one that was up making these, these bold proclamations and these, these, giving these ultimatums that, oh, I will follow you to death, Jesus. And then he looks at a girl over a fire and says, I don't even know him. He wasn't like Peter, this brash, this very impulsive guy. He was a very soft-spoken guy. But you know what I love about Andrew? A good name, right? Where is Andrew? Good name, right? Okay. Almost as good as John. Not, I mean, it's up there, okay? What I love about Andrew is that he, he, his whole ministry, his whole life was known by one thing. He just introduced people to Jesus. The feeding of the 5,000, somebody mentioned that. You know how that happened? Andrew found a boy, a lad, that had some food, and he said, hey, I'll, let's go see Jesus. There's a story about these Grecians that come from, they want to see Jesus, and they go to Philip, and Philip's like, I don't really know if we're supposed to bring people to Jesus. I don't really know what the, the right way is here. So what does Philip do? He doesn't go to Jesus and ask. He goes to Andrew, and he says, Andrew, what do you think we should do? And Andrew says, let's all of us go to Jesus. And you want to see life change? You want to see culture change? You want to see society change? You want to see your family change? You want to see your life change? It's Jesus. That's, that's got to be the answer, because... For as long as I can remember, as long as I've been alive, it's Jesus. When I was 16, I didn't need a better way to live. I needed life. I needed Jesus. Praise God, someone shared Jesus with me. I was able to, at Camp Chautauqua in 98, come forward and just receive Christ. Not that coming forward saved me. I was saved the minute I put my faith in Christ and he brought life into me. But man, what a blessing it was to just know Jesus. So as we talk about evangelism, we need to understand that truly reaching the lost with the gospel is really raising dead to life. And so what if God called you to that today? What if God texted you this morning during service? It's okay, he can do that, he's God. Okay? What if God texted you this morning? First of all, answer it, okay? Don't, I can't answer, it's church. Now if Jesus texts you, answer it. Okay, that's a good idea. But let's say Jesus texted you this morning and said, I got a job for you specifically, spells it out for you. And he says, after church today, and of course after lunch, because, well, you know, um, so we got church and lunch. He says, I want you to go to your local cemetery and I want you to raise one dead person to life. I just want you to think about it for a minute. You don't need to answer out loud, but I want you to think about this. If that was his call specifically on your life, and you were called by God directly to go to a cemetery and to raise just one, he doesn't want a revival, just, one, just reach one, just get one. And he says, I want you to raise just one person to life from the dead. Don't answer out loud, but, but who would you bring with you? Who would you call? Who would you look to for help? Who would you look to for support? Who would you look to to help you do this thing that God is calling you to? I love the ministries of our church, but listen, the, the praise band, gathering around, that's not going to do anything. Would you go find a great communicator that can really put the words of the gospel in, in a beautiful way, an orator? That's not going to do any good. You're talking about taking somebody that is dead in the ground and bringing them to life, and you've been called to do it. Who do you bring with you? Who do you call? What do you do? Just think about that. I mean, I'm trying to be dead serious here, pun intended, be, being serious here. I, I look at that, and I'm like, I got nothing. 
right? I mean, I don't think anyone here is going to go, oh, okay, is that all you need me to do? Just go get one? Okay, I got that. I'll be back in 20 minutes. No, we're going to go, there's no way. I can't do this. It is impossible for me to raise someone from the dead. I can't do it. The greatest communicator, the greatest band, the greatest ministry, the greatest program isn't going to raise that person to life. Only Jesus could raise that person to life. So you know what I would do as I've been thinking about this as God was kind of working this in my life? Like, who would you call? What would you do? I think what I would do is I would call those that I know are the closest in my life, the most intimate with Jesus. The ones that I would think, man, they just got— they're just, they're just connected to Jesus, and I want to be with them. And we're just going to gather around that graveside, and we're just going to start praying. And we're just going to start seeking him and say, God, you got to do this because I can't. you got to do a miracle here. So as we talk about evangelism, it's not that we're introducing some crazy new idea about reaching the lost. What I want you to understand is we got to rethink it because we can't do it apart from Jesus. I can't raise the dead apart from Jesus. I can't interject life into a human being that was dead unless Jesus does it. So who would you bring in? What would you do? Well, I think all of us and we ask for a miracle. Because listen, I truly believe in miracles. And I believe that our nation could be moved and reached with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I don't care what's going on around us. You know why? Because I believe my God can do miracles. I believe my God can reach anybody. I believe that. I want you to look at or listen to a verse. I want to read it. John chapter 6, verse 63. And when I read this, it just hit me. I'm going to read this actually in the Holman Christian Standard. Um, The wording is a little different, but I wanted to point out kind of in this language how it's translated in the Holman. But it's, it's fairly similar to the, to the King James or maybe even a different translation that you might be reading this morning. But listen to John chapter 6, verse 63. And as you read this, I want you to genuinely think about what Jesus is saying here. I want you to think about this. Verse 63, John chapter 6, verse 63. The Spirit is the one who gives life. The Spirit is the one who gives life. The flesh doesn't help at all. The flesh doesn't help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and are life. Now, we can read that and we can just go right on and and not really let the, the word of God be applied to our heart. The spirit is the one who gives life and the flesh doesn't help at all. And see, we go, of course, I know that, right? We've always talked about that, that, that God is the one that gives the increase and all of that. Of course, I believe that. But man, in today's church in America today, I feel like we're just, we know it, but I wonder if we really live that out. I mean, what a powerful verse that Jesus says here in the book of John, that I don't bring life. There's no life-giving power in me except for Jesus in me. My flesh doesn't bring life. The Spirit of God brings life. The Spirit of God is the one that allows someone to go from dead to life. Now, I understand that we are called to share the gospel. And I don't want you to misunderstand what I'm saying this morning. I'm not saying we don't go and we don't preach and we don't proclaim and we don't share. That's not what I'm saying. In fact, I believe that the more we understand it is the Spirit that gives life and not my flesh, I believe it drives us and gives us greater courage to go. I believe it gives us more passion to go because we stop going, I need results, and we just go, I just need to give Jesus. And we stop trying to force fit or make something happen, and we just trust that the Spirit of God is the one. Listen, the Apostle Paul said it beautifully in Romans chapter 1, verse 16. He says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Right? He says, it is the power of God unto salvation. And then I love how he ends it. Not just to the Jews. I mean, it's to the Jews first, but also the Greek. You know what that tells me? It doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter your background. It doesn't matter your heritage. It doesn't matter your previous mistakes. It doesn't matter your future mistakes. What matters is the gospel is center. 
And Paul says, no, I want, he says, I long to the church at Rome, I long to come preach the gospel. I just want to come and preach to you, proclaim this, this wonderful good news. And by the way, the gospel is great news. Here's the gospel wrapped up in a nutshell. It's the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And he did all of it for you and none of it he had to do. But he chose to say, I will go and I will die and I will do all of this so they can know me for eternity and I can know them. They are mine and I am theirs. That's the gospel. What great news. I mean, there's no better news that you could hear. Sometimes, I want to encourage you, sometimes turn off the news, turn off Facebook, turn off everything else. Just get along with Jesus and just start reading the book of John and just go, God, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your love. Because I'm telling you, if you're not careful, it's all going to just build up on you and it's going to be this weight and you're going to be filled, pulled down. And he's going, man, I set you free from all that. Stop wearing all that. I've set you free from that weight, that burden, that, that stress. Oh man, in today's day and age, it feels like we just put it all on our shoulders and we just, we stress about this and we stress about that and we're freaked out about this and we're worried about that. Listen, we need to be aware, yes, of course, and make our opinions known. I've already said that. But man, stop carrying the weights. He said, I set you free. I'm not kidding you. I, I, I was telling Sandra the other day, I was like, I think I need a purge. <laughs> I think I just need to, to get away from it for a while, man. It's just, it just, did you ever feel that way? I mean, do you ever feel like, just come on, really? One more thing. I'm telling you, just get along with Jesus. I said it last week or a couple weeks ago, I don't remember, but, but commentaries are great. Study Bibles are great. Those are beautiful tools that God has in, in, in given words to men to write and to pen and wisdom and insight that I, I only can dream of having that kind of wisdom. I'm all for it. But man, sometimes we just need me and Jesus. You just need you and Jesus. You don't need you, Jesus, and Matthew Henry. I mean, he's great, right? Charles Ryrie, great. But man, sometimes you need to just get along with Jesus and just go, that's the beauty of the gospel. I mean, that's what he's given to us. So I'm not saying we don't preach the gospel. I'm not saying we don't interject Jesus to people's lives by sharing the truth and the words. Listen, by the way, I'm all for personal evangelism because I feel that it's the, it's the only way the church is going to grow as far as what he's called us to. He's called us to go make disciples. See, making a disciple isn't just teaching somebody about Jesus after they get saved. Making a disciple is evangelism. It's all of it. See, when I lead someone to the Lord and I interject them to, or introduce them to Jesus, and Jesus through the Spirit interjects life, he does the work, then I can begin to open the Word of God with them, and if you want to say, disciple them. But discipleship starts the minute you tell somebody about Jesus. I mean, he says, teach them all things I've commanded you. Guess what he said? He said, you need to know me. <laughs> That's one of the greatest teachings you can introduce to somebody is that Jesus wants to know them and them him. When we received salvation, we were raised from dead, dry bones to living flesh. And if you really want to be honest, that's the beautiful promise of the gospel given in the Old Testament. That these dead, dry bones watch and speak the word of God over them. And all of a sudden, all these bones begin to come together and flesh begin to appear and skin. And they were living beings. By the way, anybody would get freaked out by that a little bit? Standing in a graveyard and all of a sudden bones like an arm flies over here and a thigh goes over there and here's a, like a, a leg or whatever. I don't even know all the bones. I've already, I, I've already gotten past with arm and leg. But anyway, so there's like ribs flying. I mean, just crazy stuff. And like, and you're standing in the midst of this and you're just like, what am I watching right now? And God says, this is what I'm going to do. I mean, do you understand when you received Christ, it wasn't that you were a bad person that needed to be saved or even not so good of a person that I've made a couple mistakes. No, you were dead, the Bible says. Ephesians chapter 2, you were dead in your trespasses and sins and he quickens you. He brought life into you. He saved you. And not by what you do for him or have done for him, but because of what he did for you on the cross of Christ. That's the gospel. And we are given the beautiful opportunity to go tell others about that. I mean, are you kidding me? Not only does he want to see me come to know him, he says, now go tell others because I want everybody to know, the Bible says. We have a beautiful opportunity to share Christ. 
So I'm not saying we don't share the words or say the things. We just need to realize that the key to rethinking evangelism is we've got to rethink evangelism. Number one, we need to abide in Christ. We need to abide in Christ. If we want to be effective in evangelism and reaching the lost, we need to abide in Christ. John chapter 15, verse 1. Very familiar passage. John chapter 15 and verse 1. John chapter 15 and verse 1. Jesus is speaking here. He says, I am the true vine, and my father is the husbandman. Basically, that word husbandman there means gardener, head gardener. He oversees the vine, the garden. Every branch in me that bears not fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he uh, purgeth it, he prunes it, he cares for it, that it may bring forth more fruits. I want you to see this progression. Fruits, more fruits. Now you are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can you except you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. By the way, you're not the gardener. I want to make sure I always point this out. I'm going to read this passage because a lot of Christians are walking around like they're the gardener. They're inspecting everybody else's vine. Oh, I don't see a lot of fruit there. What are you doing? Uh, how about you worry about your own section of the branch? <laughs> Let the gardener be the gardener. Just a thought. I am the vine and you are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same brings forth much fruit. So we got fruit, more fruit, much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. I mean, there's a verse I wonder how many of us truly actually think on and believe. Even for myself. For without me you can do nothing. I've met so many Christians that are running around like they think it's about them, that they're doing something. Jesus says, no, no, no. If, if you didn't have me, you wouldn't be able to do anything. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered, and men gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified that you bear much Fruits. So shall you be my disciples. I wonder how many of us are truly disciples, true followers of Jesus that say it's all about you. It's not about me. You call, I'll go. Verse 9, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Continue you in my love. That verse right there should blow you away. I want you to look at it again. I want you to read this. This is so powerful. And I know as a Christian, sometimes you read this stuff and you just kind of keep reading. You don't stop and go, wow, what did that just say? As the Father has loved me, as God the Father has loved the Son, so have I loved you. With the very same love the Father loves the Son, the Son loves you, he says, continue you in my love. That means love each other this way, in this type of love. Enjoy the love that I've offered to you. Enjoy the relationship. Continue in it. Abide in it. If you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. To understand evangelism and reaching the lost, we need to understand that we need to abide in Christ. This is for all believers. The verse, the passage starts with to understand every branch in me. We are able to abide. That word means to be present with and to remain, to be in a relationship with, to be consistent with. As a believer, we are grafted into the tree. We are a branch that has been brought in and connected to the vine and receiving from the base of that plant all that we need, all the nutrients that we need, and everything we need to produce the fruit that he has called us to. And I truly believe that as we read this passage, we need to transition from knowledge to application, from just knowing the text to understanding and applying the text by the work of the Holy Spirit. We have all heard and believe that God gives the increase, Right? Some plant, some water, but God gives the increase. I know that. I've heard that before. But we need to apply that truth and begin to actually allow it to be a truth in our lives. That when we abide in Christ, fruit will naturally flow out of us. Fruit that will last. I want you to imagine, if you will, for a moment, a branch that has been severed from the vine. We actually have a grapevine in our backyard. Uh, Somebody planted it a long, 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 long time ago. I have no idea how to care for the thing, so it just, it gives us grapes, which is cool, but probably not like it could. And I meant to grab a vine this morning, totally forgot. But I want you to think about a vine that has been severed, just the branch. How long would it take that branch to, all on its own, just, just there, 
No matter, I mean, how hard would it have to work to produce fruit? I mean, would it take a day, an hour, a couple days? I mean, if it just tried and really tried and put the effort in and put the work in and really, and really tried to produce fruit, how long would it take to produce fruit? Well, the answer is simple. It wouldn't produce fruit. Why? Because it's been severed from the vine. It's just a branch. It's useless. When you cut down limbs off your tree every fall or every spring, it seems like I have a lot of trees, so every time I go out my yard in the fall and the spring, there's just limbs everywhere. Maybe you have some limbs that came down in this, like, wind that we just got yesterday, this crazy fall day. I don't know what that was yesterday, but it uh, felt like November outside. But when those light branches were tripped or trimmed down or gathered up, guess what I did with them? Friday night we had a teen bonfire, so guess what I did with the branches that we cut down off the trees? Threw them in the fire. You know why? Because they're not serving their purpose anymore. They're not, produ- they're not able to produce the fruits. So they've lost their purpose, so I just I use them to create heat for another purpose. See, as a branch, we need to be connected and abiding in the Father, abiding in the, in, in the plant, in the vine, in Jesus. And that is the key. That as branches, we need to abide in Christ. That as we abide in him, fl- fruit will flow out of us. You see, we can get results in church. If you've been in church for any amount of time, if you've been in ministry for any time, you know, you've learned that you can get results. You can get somebody to say a prayer. I could preach in a way that would make you feel so guilty that by the end of it, you'd like, I need to pray. And you'd say a prayer. But is that fruit really fruit that lasts? I've shared it before. I always look at this as an example in my own life. I was out on visitation one time. This is when I was in college. I was with a guy that wanted to share Christ with this guy, and he was so passionate. And I love this guy because he was so passionate about Christ. But the guy obviously wanted nothing to do with this. I mean, he come to the door. He's wearing shorts, no shirt. He's got some barbecue sauce on his mouth like he'd just been eating some good food. And here we are, like, hey, want to know about Jesus? He's like, no, I want to finish my food, right? I want to finish eating my dinner. And he says, well, I just want to tell you about Jesus, how much he loves you. And the guy says, you know what, I appreciate it, but I haven't got time for this. Goes to close the door. The guy shoves his foot in the door. Stops him from closing the door. And I know some of you have heard this before, but I share it all the time. I'm not kidding you. 25 minutes, this guy had his foot in this guy's door just going, I mean, he was just like, like, like a shotgun just hitting him with scripture. Boom, boom, boom. And the guy's just like, he's rolling his eyes. And I'm kind of standing on like, you know, 19-year-old kid. I don't know what to do. I'm just like, okay, I guess I'll just pray. Okay? So I'm praying. Lord, don't let us get shot or beat up, you know, stuff like that. After 20, 25 minutes, guess what the guy finally says? It's amazing. Miracle. (laughs) Okay, I'll accept Jesus. What do I got to do? Oh, man, brother, you just got to say a prayer. Ask him into your life and he'll save you. Okay, let's go ahead. So this guy led him in a prayer. He says this prayer and he said, brother, you're going to heaven. He said, great, now I'm going to go finish dinner. Close the door. Now, I don't know his heart. I don't know what God does, but I'm going to tell you what. I've always looked at it as an example of like, man, was that? And I'm thankful that I'm not the gardener. Right? I'm thankful I don't got to make that decision. But it's always stuck with me as, as, man, is that really what he's called us to do? I mean, has he called us to get it, just get a result? Just to, just to shove it down people's throat until they finally go, okay, fine. I'm all for preaching the word. I'm all for evangelism. I'm all for sharing Christ. But man, I just, I've always looked back to that like, man, is that what he's called us to do? Just to get a result. Just to get a number. Some of you grew up in churches where all they cared about was the number. You know, Jesus never asks us to give him a number. He just says to go share. He says, just go preach the gospel. Leave the results up to me. Leave the results to the Holy Spirit. Leave the results up to that individual to make a choice. I mean, I mean, stop trying to bear the results. You just go, you just preach. I fear that in, in most churches, we've tried to fabricate the miracle. We've tried to recreate the miracle without the power of the Spirit. We prop up the dead in church and we say, no, 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 they're alive, they're alive. It it takes four or five accountability partners to keep them going, but man, no, they're really alive. They've got the Spirit of God in them. Look, they're here every week. We prop them up. They give tithe. They're great. They're growing. I don't know if this is a good movie to reference, but it came to my mind. So don't go watch it if you haven't ever watched it because it's probably not good. I haven't seen it for probably about 25, maybe 20 years. I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Weekend at Bernie's. But as I was thinking about this message, I was like, that's church. I mean, if you've never seen it, again, please, 
either watch it edited, watch it on TV or something, because I don't remember what's in it really, okay? So I can't say, but I'm sure it probably wasn't great, okay? But I remember the movie, these two guys tried to pretend this guy was alive for like a whole weekend, right? And they would put their arm up and the guy's all like, and they're propping him around, you know? I remember there was a scene with a speedboat, and they got him out on the speedboat, which was pretty funny. But anyway, I think about that, like we just, we prop people up and we're like, no, 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 really, they're alive. No, no, trust me, they said a prayer. And I wonder, man, I mean, have they really received life-changing, spirit-only-giving power of life? Or have we just tried to create results? Have we just tried to fabricate the miracle because we stopped relying on Jesus to do the miracle? Because see, here's the thing. I believe he wants to. I believe he can. I believe we're called to go and make disciples so that we can be the vessel, the tool. But man, it's an amazing thing that when we just sit back and we actually let Jesus do the miracle that he says he wants to do. And we stop trying to create it or fabricate it, but we just trust. I don't want time to turn there, but you can write these down as references. Jesus says in John chapter 4, verse 14, to the woman at the well, that when we drink of his eternal life, the illustration he was using was water there, when we drink in that eternal life, that water that he offers, we will be filled, Jesus says, with the well of water springing up into everlasting life. Then in John chapter 7, verse 38, Jesus says that whoever believes in him, out of his belly will flow rivers of living water. I love this because the word belly there doesn't mean belly like stomach, like what we think of, right? That we get full of something, our belly. This word belly actually means our inwardmost parts, the seat of our thoughts, our feelings, and our choice. It's that inward part of you, that part that's just that, 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 that you ever hear people say, I got a, a feeling in my gut? That's that feeling, that's that place we're talking about. It's interesting, this word for this inward most part is actually translated two more times into a different English word than it is belly. It's translated for the word womb. The word womb. You see, more than it is just an idea of our hearts or of our, of our inward parts, it's saying the Spirit flows from the deepest part of our soul where life itself begins. That when, when we allow the Spirit of God to, to, to quicken us, Ephesians says, and we become one with Christ and we receive that living water, praise God, because man, isn't it good? Isn't that water so good when you drink it in for the first time? And finally, no matter how old you are, that thirst that you couldn't seem to quench through anything else is now met and satisfied. I love that he uses that illustration because I feel that the woman at the well, if she needed anything, it was just to be satisfied. And she was trying, wasn't she? She was looking everywhere. The Bible says that she had so many guys in her life. I tend to believe that that means she was probably looking for that love that she hadn't found. And Jesus says, man, if you drink of this water, you'll never thirst again. And instantly she said, what? Give me that water because I don't want to thirst anymore. Man, our world is thirsty. But here's the problem. So many Christians have drank in the water that is eternal life, and we keep going back. We've got to think we've got to keep getting more and more water, and we're forgetting that we've already got a well of water springing up inside of us. Man, I've heard so many Christians say that they forget why they even are in the church. It's not become about God has given me eternal life. Now I need to be equipped by the Spirit of God through the body of believers coming together and worshiping to go out and reach. It's now, no, no, no. I've received and that water is good, so just keep giving me the water. Keep giving me the water. Keep giving me the water. I've got to keep getting filled. I've got to keep getting filled. And we forget there's a whole world of people out here that are dying of thirst. But no, no, just feed me. Just keep giving me what I want. Just keep giving me my water. Because listen, I, I, I want to kind of hoard the water. It's almost like we're those, those people at Y2K. You guys remember Y2K? When the world ended? I don't know. It didn't, I don't think. But I, I heard it did. Okay, so New Year's Eve party, 1999. I was with some young people. And when you put young people together in a room, there was like 15 of us. It's never a good time. I mean, it's a great time, but never a good Nobody saw outcome them. always. Um, and it's counting down. Five! Four, three, two, and he flipped the main breaker in the house and turned all the power off. Everybody was froze. It happened. Oh my goodness, it happened. 
Everything's good. So what do we do? We're out in the middle of the country. We're on, like, I think, uh, out by Lum Road. So we run outside, and we're looking at the neighbors. Like, are their lights on? Is their power on? Well, it's midnight, so most of them, their lights are off. He comes upstairs just laughing. I'm like, oh, you're really funny. But in Y2K, I remember so many people, what did they do? They, they built those little bunkers, right? And they stored it up with, like, gallons of water and cans of beans. It's not a good idea when you're locked inside for years and years and years to have water and beans. But anyway... I'd be like, I'll take my chances out in, the, in, the, in the, you know, the nuclear wasteland. I'll take my chances out there. But it's like that. Like we, we hoard this water up and we're storing it up and we're storing it up and we're storing it up and we're like, no, 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 no. I need it all. And Jesus is saying, don't you get it? I gave it to you so that you could know me. But guess what? I also gave it to you so it would flow out of you. And so that others will receive, that others will find this amazing quenching ability of the gospel. The truly amazing part of that is that the source for our eternal life will flow out of us to those that need it the most. That it's already in me through the Spirit of God and I don't need to work at it. I'm not against plans or strategies to share Christ or different programs that come out. I'm not against those things. What, I mean, they are what they are. But I always think it's funny that I remember years ago we used to do Operation Go. Anybody remember Operation Go? couple people that have been here for a while. Okay. I always thought it was kind of ironic, and I'm not picking on anybody, but this is what the church creates in our day and age today, and it just, it breaks my heart because I, I've seen it in my own life at times, and, and so that's why I can see it in the church. But it's, it's so funny. We used to do Operation Go, which is a soul-winning program. You learn 16 steps. By the way, I struggle with three steps, right? Rinse, lather, repeat. I'm like, wait, is it lather, rinse, repeat, or is it repeat, lather, rinse, or what is it? 16 steps of how to share the gospel. And it, we did this right before we went out on visitation night. We used to do a, a set-up visitation night. We'd go door-to-door. There was probably 15, 18 people in this class. And so we'd show up. I already took the class years before, so I show up to visitation, which ended five minutes after the class. What would be the goal in that? That somebody would go What? I'm learning about how to share the gospel. I'll go out and I'll share the gospel. Everybody get that? Makes sense? Pretty much on the same page? This is what the church does. It creates that go to the program, but don't ever apply because not one person stayed over from the class to actually go share Christ. Now, did they not go out and share Christ in their workplace or their neighborhoods? Maybe they didn't. That's fine. To be honest, that's why we don't do a lot during the week here. We don't have 50 million programs because we want you to have opportunity to get to know your neighbors and to share Christ one-on-one. But that showed me an amazing reality that has become the church. Just give it a program and then watch and just walk away. Man, it's not about a program. It's not about steps. I mean, that's all well and good. The Romans Road, I've used the Romans Road countless times. I'm not opposed to it. It's the Word of God. But listen, it's not about steps. It's about the Spirit of God. It's not about memorizing something. It's about sharing your story of how you were dead, now you are alive, and you abide in Christ, and the relationship is so amazing, you can't help but tell people about it. You don't need a program. You just go, man, just, you know what? Jesus is pretty good. I just want to tell people about Jesus. Jesus says that a key in sharing the gospel to seeing fruit that lasts is abiding in Christ. Secondly, and quickly, I'm going to finish up just in a moment. I'm going to fly through this one, so just stay with me. Abiding, not only in Christ, but abiding in the body. Abiding in the body. Turn over to John chapter 17 and verse 23. John chapter 17 and verse 23. Many of you know, you've heard about the Lord's Prayer. And many people think that when Jesus said, pray this way, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. That that's the, the Lord's prayer. That's the example prayer. That's a model of prayer. Um, I'm not saying, and trust me, if you grew up in a, in a church where they taught you to say that prayer 50 million times in a week, it's not bad to pray that prayer, but it's not like that's the only way we can pray. But I want you to look at John chapter 17 is actually the Lord's prayer. Uh, this is before he goes to the cross, and this is what he's praying. Uh, it starts off by praying for himself praying for his relationship with the Father, that the Father would be glorified, the Son would be glorified, and all of that. Then he moves into praying for the disciples. And then as he kind of finishes up the prayer, he starts praying for you and I. Now stop and think about that for a moment. You're sitting in this church, and over 2,000 years ago, Jesus prayed for you. That's powerful. Jesus prayed for you right now. 
Look at verse 23, and this is what he prays. I in them, and thou in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that thou hast sent me, and hast loved them as thou hast loved me. I want to reference this in a, in a different translation just to give a different idea. Verse 23, it says this in the English Standard Version. It says this, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one. Perfectly one. So that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you have loved me. This is an amazing thing here because whenever Jesus prays for something, we should really be looking into why would he pray that and what does he pray for us? What does he pray? He prays that we will be one, not just with each other, but one with each other as the Father and the Son are one, he says. You know, for a long time in my Christian walk, I never thought that would be possible. Uh, As long as I've been in the church, I've never thought that would be possible. But I think we've just adopted a defeated mentality and go, well, people are people. You can't really... No, he says, I'm praying for this. I'm praying that they will be one, that the body will be one as the Father and the Son are one. Made perfectly one. That unity doesn't mean you lose your individuality and, and your uniqueness. No, he's saying you will be one. And guess what changes everything in this society when people look at the church and go, how could they be so united? How could they be so one? So many different people, backgrounds, beliefs as far as how they were raised, but yet they come together in this body of Christ and they are one. Out of all the issues facing the church, and that it all has faced the church for 2,000 years, and there's been a lot, by the way. I know we think that this is the worst time in church history, but believe me, it's not. There's been worse. Doesn't mean I agree with everything going on, but listen, the church has survived because he says the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So guess what? decisions made by nine people, it's not going to do it. He's going to prevail against everything that comes against the church because he said he would. The reason that he said that he wants this unity, the reason he told us, it's in the verse, he says that the world may know that you have sent me. Huh. How does Jesus say that we should evangelize the outward community, the world around us? It's oneness in the church. It's not an ideal or a concept that we should hope for. It is a reality that is possible because Jesus prayed for it. The Spirit equips us for it, and we can see it today. The greatest way to show the world the reality of Christ's ministry and the love of God is to be one as a church. Paul speaks of the same idea here. Philippians chapter 1, verse 27. Philippians chapter 1, verse 27. Turn over really, really quick, and then we're going to be done. I promise. So close. Philippians chapter 1. In verse 27. I wasn't going to turn here for time's sake, but I really want you to read it with me. If you've got a roast in the, in the oven or something in the crock pot, I apologize. But if you do, just let me know and I'll be over when it's done. Verse 27. Only let your conversation, the King James uses the word conversation, that word actually translates to the word conduct, okay, your lifestyle, Only let your conduct or your lifestyle be as it becomes the gospel of Christ. That's a pretty high expectation. That whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, and in nothing terrified by your adversaries. Do you you see what Paul's saying here? It says, in nothing should you fear those that oppose you. In nothing should you fear. In nothing should you shake. In nothing should you be consumed with fear by what your adversaries, those that oppose the gospel and oppose the church, would bring to the table. You should not fear them, he says here. Be not terrified. Then he says this, that striving together, that oneness, that idea of what he's talking about, which to them is an evident token of perdition. It's a sign that, guess what? There is judgment coming for those that don't know Christ. But to you that know Christ, to you of salvation and that of God. I love that verse in verse 27 because he talks about this idea so clearly. Paul says here that we can stand fast in one spirit with one mind, working side by side for the faith of the gospel. 
The usage of the word faith here is not a faith in the gospel, meaning faith when I get saved. It is the idea of faith that is produced by the gospel, which creates a lifestyle that is an evidence to others of our inward faith. We saw the same comment made about the early church in Acts 4.32, one heart and one soul. The world will believe when the church acts like the church and is one. You want a program, you want a, you want a philosophy, you want an, an equation, the church needs to be one. And here's the thing, he's already equipped us with everything we need to do that. We can already achieve this, not because of who we are or our strategies, but because he's given us the power to do it. We just need to get out of the way. This rethinking evangelism is so crucial for us today. Our world is in need of genuine followers of Christ being available to share the reality of the life-changing, life-giving power of the water inside. We need to get on our face and seek him and ask him to do a miracle in the life of a loved one that doesn't know Christ, as well as those that we come in contact with day to day. I mean, do you ever just, as you're driving, do you ever see people go by you and just think, God, where are they going? Not physically, but spiritually. Do you ever think, man... Do they know you? We need to be as passionate about our abiding in him and abiding in the Christ. unity of the body of Christ. We will desire what he desires. So what is it the Lord desires? Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9. The Lord does not delay his promise, as some understand delay, but is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. His desire is that all would find the water and be filled. And it is through his, his church that the water is to flow. We don't have the power, we don't have the ability, but we need to be available to go, to pray, and to ask. So who would you bring with you? Who would you ask? What communicator would you get to to formulate the words in a way that would raise someone from the dead? There are no words. There is no strategy. There's no program. You need a miracle. I want to tell you something this morning. Maybe you're here and you have a loved one that doesn't know Christ. I've shared it before. I have an older brother that doesn't know Christ. Doesn't want to talk to the family, kind of in his own place. Man, I long for the day when I can just hear him on the phone and just say, man, let me tell you about Jesus. But you know what? All I can do right now is pray. Man, God, just do a miracle. God, please do a miracle in his life because I can't do anything. Maybe you're here and you have a loved one that doesn't know Christ. Then all you can do is just say, God, man, when the opportunity is there, give me the words to say. But until that point, just do a miracle. Because listen, I don't have life-giving power in my flesh. The Spirit of God in me has the ability to change someone's life. To give someone life. And so maybe this morning, as we close in an invitation in just a moment, you would just pray and say, God, do a miracle. And you name the person, and you ask God to do a work, and you just seek him for it, and you say, God, I believe, but help my unbelief. Maybe you want to come this morning. Coming up front here isn't anything mystical or magical. It's just a time to separate from, from everyone else and just spend a quiet moment with God as you just seek him. Maybe you want to come and pray. Maybe you, as a couple, want to come and pray for a loved one. Maybe you have children that haven't yet found Christ because they're young yet. And maybe you just want to come and say, God, do a miracle in my son's life. Do a miracle in my daughter's life. Maybe you have a prodigal child that is kind of wayward, that is just kind of distant. God, do a miracle in their life. Whatever it is that you are, are looking for God to do, you're just asking God, God, align my desires of my heart with yours, that I would pray in your will, and that I would seek what you have me to seek. And maybe you just want to come for a neighbor. Maybe you want to come and pray for, for just someone in the community that you know. Maybe your kid's teacher at school or, or maybe a coworker, or, or I don't even know. Maybe you just want to come and say, God, I just want to be focused on this. Thing. I, want to, I want to look at evangelism as you look at it and just give out what you've given me. I've been a little self-centered lately. I've been thinking more about me than others and I just need to let the water out. I just need to let it flow out to others that others would see your gospel, that you would receive the glory. Because listen, when somebody finds Christ, it has nothing to do with me going, look what I did. Has everything to do with, man, look what God did. Look how great he is. Maybe you're here and you don't know Christ. You've not received that water and you're so thirsty because you just know. Man, then this morning you can find that, that life-giving water and just receive Christ. Put your faith in him. Believe that he died, was buried, and rose again for you. If he's working in your heart right now, maybe you would just respond that way and say, God, I just believe. Whatever it is that God is doing, would you just seek him as we pray? Would you bow your heads?
Our gracious Father, we come boldly before your throne because you've given us access by the blood of Christ. You've allowed us to come into this place this morning, but you've also allowed us to come into your very throne room. Not by works of religion, but by the pure gift of your grace. And so, Father, my prayer this morning is that, is that we would just realize that you have called us, yes, to go and to share. You've called us to be disciple makers, but maybe realize that it all starts by allowing you to be the focal point. Father, I don't know how it's going to play out in everyone's life and everyone's situation. I don't know how it's going to look. Only you do. But I pray that as opportunities come up that we would, that we would be aware of those around us. That by your, your spirit filling us and your grace overwhelming us that we would be as passionate about this world and as passionate about those that are in spiritual darkness as you are. Father, we can have our opinions, we can have our disagreements, but at the core front of it, we've got to realize it's about you and your gospel going out. Father, we're not terrified by our adversaries. If God be for us, who could be against us? We are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. There are things in our society that are going to happen, that have happened, and, and that will continue to happen, that we will disagree with that we will raise our voices against in a, in a way that honors you. But Father, if they take it all away, I pray that we would remember at the core of it that it's about your gospel going forth. It's not going to be easy. It's not supposed to be. It's scary to share your faith. Father, nobody likes rejection. Nobody wants to be put down or, or pointed out or embarrassed by someone at work as they make fun of us or call us names. It's never easy to share our faith, but, but by your grace, we can and will share your love with those around us because it is just overwhelming us. Thank you that I have nothing to do with giving life. That is purely a miracle of God because it's all in your hands. I don't need to carry the weight of guilt if somebody doesn't receive. I just trust you. And I continue to share as you give me opportunity. Help us to rethink evangelism, to get out of our own way and just to follow what you called us to. Thank you for your grace and your salvation. Thank you for rising us from the dead unto life and may we enjoy and live the abundant life you've given us. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand to your feet this morning?